to open up to John chapter 21. And the title that I've given the message this morning, I, I, uh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since Easter. Can you believe that? Um, that uh, that was only two weeks ago. I think I've got the calendar right. Do I have that right? A couple of weeks, something like that. Uh, and that, you know, life still stays full, doesn't it? You know, unexpected things, demands, things that are going on, disappointments. And uh, what my point that I'm trying to—I was alluding to this here a second ago as well—is that um, we can begin to get in, into a mindset in which we remember something, but yet, oh yeah, that it feels far away from us. It, it's kind of a distance away from us. And this week, uh, last week, we looked at Jesus' appearances, and it just really riveted me as we began to examine the idea of how Jesus met his friends. After the resurrection, revealing who he is, and he, you know he meets them in uh, in the places of grief and pain, uh, uh, fear and doubt and, uh, and and shame. And originally, I had an, every bit every intent to go in a different direction. Um, I told Denise I actually had about three sermons that kind of came together. So I, you know you don't want, we don't have time to sit here all day. Uh, so w- what really struck me though is that I came back to the passage in John 21. And so I know we looked at Peter last week, but I want to continue to look at the story of Peter, particularly because it's really important because it's centered around shame. And the title that I've given the message this morning is that the, the, the twisted messaging of shame and guilt. It's really, really, uh, I think it's a, a, a uh, the, the messaging of shame and guilt is a particularly difficult um, wor- working against the hearts and the minds of men and women, and I believe hell works at us at the heart in that area. So uh, that's where I, I want to look at the, this message this morning. John 21, I'm going to be looking verses 1 to 17. Um, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or, or Galilee, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of, Can- of Canaan of Galilee. Okay, so there's three. And then you got the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others. What, seven of them gathered together? Uh, and they've come back to the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out, and they got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered, no. And he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, and then they were not able to haul it because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, turns to Peter and says, it is the Lord. So Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He put off his outer garment, for he had stripped down for work, and there threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So they got out on the land, and they saw the charcoal fire already laid, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you uh, have caught. Simon went up and 
drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153, although there were so many. And the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to ask, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fishermen likewise. This was the third time that Jesus was manifested to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they had finished breaking breakfast with uh, Jesus. After they had finished, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The fish, all of this that's happening around them. He said to them, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. And he said, Tend my lambs. He said to him again, second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Um, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter grieved because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Tend my sheep. As I began to spend some time in this passage, I was struck by, the, by, by something in the story. And the, the thing that really strikes me about the story of, this, of the resurrection, specifically with Peter, and I, I want to say I hadn't actually really noticed this before. So I want, I want you to take notice of the fact that if you go through the gospel accounts, one of the things that you'll notice is that Peter is one of the first to the tomb. Peter and John run. John hesitates. Peter steps his head in, comes back out. Later, John gives us this record, as well as Luke, that Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. And they're rejoicing. And Jesus proclaims, peace be with you. And it's Thomas who says, uh, let me just think, you know, unless I see the hands, you know, he's the one that speaks, that's recorded there in John. But, but the thing that, that strikes me, and I was floored about this, is to see how Peter has seen the empty tomb, the resurrected Christ. He's watched him come and meet his friend Thomas and Mary. He's heard Jesus proclaim peace, and, and, and I'm floored by this. There's the facts of the resurrection he's not disputing. Jesus is alive, Peter. Here's the haunting question. Is Peter alive? I'll never do that, Peter. And he did. Here's what struck me, just leaped out at me, is what isn't recorded. Until, like, verse 2 of John 21, Peter is recorded as saying nothing. Peter, I won't, let's go get some swords. Peter, who's constantly, hey, let's build some tents and tabernacles. Peter, who constantly has an opinion. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'll give you the answer, Peter is silent in the face of the resurrected Christ. Shame has silenced Peter. I'd never seen that before. I went, oh my goodness, this is stunning. 
Here he stands. This, the messaging of shame has clinched his jaw shut and his spirit closed. This guy who is a confidant of Jesus, the, 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 you know, one of the inner circle, has never said a word. And, you know, we looked at this last week, by the way, and we're, we're, we'll get back, well, I'll get back to that here in just a moment. Jesus meets them there, but, you know, fascinating things that are said and not said in the gospel accounts. One is that Jesus never once takes all of his disciples and takes them back to the tomb and says, now, look at this, or to Golgotha. But what he proclaims is peace I'm giving you, me. It's me. I'm going with you. That's what you need to know. So, Peter, muted by his shame. Now, I want you to notice the next thing, where they are and what they're doing. And John reveals something about that, that's incredibly telling. You've got Peter. You've got Thomas, remember? Uh, yeah, go ahead and touch my hands, Thomas. Nathaniel is named, and then there's four others. And these are all following encounters with Jesus. These are all men who had been behind closed, locked doors for fear of the Jews, who had encountered the risen Christ, who proclaimed, peace I'm giving you. It's me. Be assured. Where are they? Seventy to eighty miles from the upper room. They're at the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem, I'm out of here. The last place they'd encountered Jesus, I don't understand it, but I'm out of here. These men are putting distance between them and what just happened. And here's the dot that I want to connect for us. Lest any of us miss this, Peter said, I'll die for you. He denies Jesus one, two, three times. Jesus looks at him, and with love, the gospel account says, he looks at him in love, and he walks away, and Peter is crushed. But don't miss that the gospel writer says, every one of you, these are the words of Jesus, will deny me. And they did. The toxic message of shame. Let me get to it right quick. You know what it is? Distance. The story of shame begins in Genesis 2. Adam and Eve in the garden, everything that they are in need of to to live free and to flourish is given to them. And then when temptation comes, as all temptations do, it comes with this messaging. Here it is. Ready? You don't really have enough. You're lacking. And are you really sure you can trust that he's good? Can you really trust love? Because if, if you eat that, your eyes will be open and you'll actually be like him. And so the accusation is that God is not good and you are not enough. Here's the, here's the horrible thing with shame is that 
when the temptation, when, the, when that betrayal occurs, that's the, that's, that message becomes seated in the heart. You're not enough. You know, I, I found this to be universally true among those I've worked with, uh, survivors of abuse. When love is violated, the weight of shame is especially toxic because the noise in the head and the heart sounds like this. You'll never be good enough. And you really, it's best if most people don't know about that. It's best that you just cover it up. But internally, nothing ever feels the same. And we get this distorted view of ourselves that there's something that can never be recovered. And we believe it. I say we because I'm one of those guys. Oh, but wait a minute. That was Adam and Eve. These feelings are so pronounced that when God comes in the cool of the day in the garden to, to fellowship with their freedom and their flourishing, they run and hide and they cover up their own sense of shame. The best word that I want to give to that that describes that sense of wanting to be covered of wanting to pull away is distance. And the beauty of the gospel, beloved, begins in Genesis 2 because God comes looking. Distance doesn't stop God. Our perception of distance isn't real. God comes, and he meets them. He's able to meet them, and, and he ministers to them. But he, the whole process of restoration begins in Genesis 2. Even if they kill me, I will not deny you. And I did. Peter, you're silent. Peter, where are you? You're 75 miles away from where all of that happened. What is he doing? He's doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden. He's doing what we do. Get away. I want that memory away from me. When I look, all I see Jesus, cool, risen, I don't know what to do. I'm, all I can see is my own failure, and I have no imagination how I could even possibly fit into this. And he says nothing. Oh, wait, what are the first words that Peter record, that are recorded? John 21, verse 2. I'm going to go fishing. Now, lest ever, you know, we think that shame silenced just Peter. His buddies are there with him. Hey, we're, we're with you. We're going. What? Whose nets were those? Probably their families, the ones that they walked away from three years before. Whose boats? Probably their families, the ones they walked away from. Same work, same lake. And here's what I, 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 and I apologize. I want to apologize ahead of time because I intended to send this, these two images to, to, to you, Angie, and I didn't get it done. But um, there, there are certain images that were in their minds. And see, images can, 
can be really powerful things. Um, Peter, I can just, hasn't said anything. And the only thing in his mind, the only thing he can see is Jesus on a cross. Now, for us, we think the cross is a beautiful thing. But I want to remind you guys, the cross wasn't a beautiful thing. When Jesus is hanging on it, what the cross was, was the, the Rome's demonstration of Rome. Something called Pax Roma, or Pax Romana. And in, in Pax Romana, the symbol of Pax Romana early on was, was the shape of two swords across from one another, surrounded by a garland leaf. And it was used regularly in, in Rome because this was the definition of Pax Roma. Romans regarded peace not as an absence of war, but as the rare situation that existed when all opponents had been beaten down and lost their ability to resist. Their intent was to communicate your prosperity and your welfare is only directly connected to the empire remaining at peace. All resistance is absolutely and utterly futile. When there was anyone that would be just possibly resist Rome, they would make a public spectacle of them. How? By this image. Not just swords drawn, but a cross publicly. Pax Roma. I want to say this to us. I, I began to ponder this. I'm, I, I, I'm like thinking about, here's Peter, 75 miles from home, and he's thinking about the cross. But what he's thinking about the cross isn't the way that we think about it. The thought about the cross was that Rome won. We shared a meal together in these great hopes that, that God would bring deliverance and would defeat this empire that had dominion over us and, and end that symbol. And instead, that symbol stood on, the, on, a, on a hill and Jesus hung on it and was swiftly put to death. So... What do these men have in their estimation? They're thinking back about, about Jerusalem. They're thinking about, about Golgotha. They're, there's an image I can't get out of my head. Yes, I saw Jesus rise, but, but I'm reminded. Rome is, looks like they have dominion, and, and I failed. So there's this sense of personal failure, fear, corporate weakness. Their conclusion again? Distance. Let's get away from this. He's alive, but I have no imagination for, for anything of who I am or how I'm going to fit into this. So what do I need to do? I, 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 one thing's clear. I'm not qualified. So I go back to what I know. My routine. And Jesus meets them under the powerful message, that twisted message of shame where they're feeling the most empty and alone. I, I want to proclaim this a couple of times this morning over us, beloved. Please hear this. Because this is the message about the cross and the resurrection. The resurrection 
is not about escaping life. You see, they're, they, they're trying to escape, get away from something. The cross and the resurrection is not about escaping life, but about becoming alive. Do you hear the difference? And the point of the message today is that we have all been touched by shame, all of us. There's stories and places, and often we want to cover it when a big distance from it, and it distorts things. Beloved, the good news that we're proclaiming today is that the resurrection comes not to escape from life, but to become alive where we are. That's good news. All right. Let me um, bear with me. Uh, I just looked up at the clock. Bear with me, all right? Um, there's the story. They're fishing all night. They're alone all night. Their nets are empty. Their lives are empty. And they have nothing to give. Maybe, maybe, you know, they're assured personally, but there's no sense of confidence to confront this structural system that, that held men and women in bondage and fear. And again, that was Rome's goal. But let me be clear. We all live in, in right now, we're living in a, in, uh, among systems that are, that are surrounding us today, if, we, if we're honest about it, that say we are powerless uh, and at the hold of the mercy of things that we cannot control, oftentimes. And the simplicity of the message this morning is this, that even when I feel the most distant and empty, Jesus comes to fill empty nets and empty lives. Emptiness is not the story. Jesus is the story who comes to fill the empty. He comes to reveal that the cross is not the symbol of Rome's dominion over life, but of God's dominion over death. Jesus comes to say and reveal, this is who God is. In the midst of your empty, your lack, I've come. And guess what? I'm still about this, bringing you back to a garden where you can be free and flourish. So the story takes place right after daybreak. Jesus comes, and John looks over and says to Peter, it's, it's him. Did you notice Peter's response? This time, he's not running away from, but he's running to. And where Jesus brings him to? A table. You know, last week we looked at this a little bit, but I want to remind you of their story. The last table that they actually shared with Jesus was in that upper room. And they were in that upper room rehearsing the deliverance of God from Pharaoh. And they're having an imagination that maybe they would be delivered from Pax Roma. And at this table, they're, they're beginning to rehearse it. Oh. Lord, you, you, you showed your deliverance, but Jesus brings them back to a table, and what he reveals to them is that his love can bring them back to the place of deliverance. He reveals that there's enough mercy, forgiveness, and empowering love to, not to just fill up nets but lives and to change everything where, right where we are, right where we are. Um, by the way, 
Again, this is the image that I didn't give you. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that here in just a minute. So at, they, they come to the table, and Jesus says, come and eat. And if I, if I could just say, Jesus says, come on over here. And as Jesus is standing there waiting for them to bring fish to him, there's the elephant in the room. That fire that's burning, that charcoal fire, the last charcoal fire that Jesus, that Peter stood beside where he denied Jesus, all the sights, the smells that he would have remembered, all the guilt, the regrets, the I wished I wouldn't have. And what does Jesus say? You know, Peter, let's have a talk about you. Is there anything you'd like to say to me? He just says, come. Talk about holy words. Come and eat. Jesus is not lecturing. He's giving an invitation to a place of renewed forgiveness, freedom, and flourishing. Come and eat. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now, three different times for the times that he had denied him. But I also want to underline one important thing that I think we don't, I don't want us to miss. Why would Jesus invite him to rehearse it three different times for each of his denials? But also, you know, Peter says, I, you know I love you. And I, I believe Jesus did know that. But Peter needed to know that. That the story of his worst isn't going to be the story that defines him. Peter needed to understand that he's not bound and identified by his past. How many times do we need to hear and experience that over and over again? Beloved, what I'm trying to say is this. Peter needed to hear that love is enough. And so do we. So they began a, a meal a week before in this revolutionary meal. And now they're back to this meal. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, the other two. And they're back at a meal in which they're hearing a proclamation about that God has come and overcome death by death. And it, and it comes to them when they returned to the routine of life where they didn't expect it. God meets them. Now, this was the thing I wanted to allude to here earlier. You know, the, the two swords with a garland? Later in church history, that X, followed with a P behind it, and then to the left, an alpha, and to the right, the omega, the church says, wait a minute, that now is the symbol of what we believe to be true, recognizing that the peace of Christ wrought upon the cross has overcome death by death. That is the real message of life. Fascinating, isn't it? That old images that represented dominion, destruction, and death now becomes an image of freedom, forgiveness, and flourishing when the risen Christ invites us back to the table. Beloved, this message is not about escaping life, but about becoming alive again. I want to invite you to stand with me.
I want to make. Uh, I just want to invite us back to the similar closing prayer that we we shared last week. It is good news, beloved, against the the powers that claim to control our lives. We proclaim a gospel, Jesus Christ, the the crucified and risen one has triumphed over sin and death and is Lord of heaven and earth. His kingdom of liberating love is at hand right here, right now, and in the midst of our suffering. He is speaking and working among us, empowering us to participate in and proclaim new life. Freedom, forgiveness, and flourishing for all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Stand in our midst again today. Enter the circle of our fears. Penetrate the doubts, darkness of our doubts. Meet us where we are. May we listen your song, Shalom. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. May we see your hands in your side. May we feel the warmth of your holy breath, softening the hardening clay from whence we come. Invited, curious, like a child, we place our trembling hands not only on your wounds, but on ours too, and on the lovely brokenness of others. Breathing in forgiveness, breathing out forgiveness. Wounds become the sacred place of mutual compassion and the springboard to an intimate song of communion and possibility crafted in the heart of our Lord, our God. Amen and amen. Lord, it's always been this table, hasn't it?